good evening, everyone. Uh, welcome to the Temenos Academy, and happy Iranian New Year's, which is on Wednesday. So it's a very important time for the Iranians. Um, it's the spring equinox. Tuesday. Tuesday, excuse me. Tuesday, yeah. Um, tomorrow, yes, tomorrow. <laughs> well, it's usually the 21st of March, which is Wednesday, but it's, it's, it's Tuesday this year. Anyway, um, it's a real pleasure to welcome Dr. Gomshay back to Temenos. You know, he's been here at Temenos every year for the last 16 years, uh, lecturing to us. Uh, he first lectured in 1994, I believe, and he, in 1995 he gave 10 lectures on Rumi, a seminar, when Catherine Rain was still alive, actually, and those are all still on tape, available. But for those that don't know Dr. Gomshi, let me give a, a brief introduction to him. Um, he got his doctorate at Tehran University in the 60s in, in um, Islamic theology and philosophy, and since the 1980s, he's been a, a celebrity in Iran for his lectures in this field, the field of Persian literature, Islamic philosophy, and theology. And uh, there's a whole table of his books over there for those of you who read Persian. Um, his most recent book is called 365 Days with the Quran, which in the space of one year went into 10 editions and has sold 25,000 copies in Iran. It's become a bestseller, a runaway bestseller. Um, it's only 750 pages, and so I highly recommend it. Um, um, but he's published lots of books on Rumi. He has 365 days with, with Rumi in Persian as well. Um, we will translate these in the next 300 years. Um, and um, so that's, his writings are mostly in Persian, uh, but he's well known as a speaker here in Temenos and in other uh, venues in the West. And he's been to Australia, the US, uh, and um, all over Europe to lecture. Um, anyway, his books are for sale over there for any of you that want to buy them. Um, Dr. Gumshi uh, is a sort of bridge between Eastern and Western culture, a very unique bridge. Um, and he's actually got a book called 365 Days with English Literature, where he shows this bridge, how Persian literature corresponds to English literature. It's a, it's a lovely book. Unfortunately, it's in, in, in Persian. Um, and um, anyway, he, he brings this, uh, one of his abilities is to communicate to all levels of people. So he'll, he'll talk over the heads of academics, but it will mean perfect sense to the taxi drivers in the audience. You know what I mean. I don't know what I mean, but uh, what I mean is something like he is able to communicate across classes, and he has this sort of uh, unique popularity which transcends the divide of of, uh, of of various layers of society. So he's very ecumenical and broad-minded, um, and that, of course, comes from the fact that he's speaking from the heart himself and he's always addressing the heart of matters. So it's not as if he's trying to uh, expound something in a very difficult manner so that you know how difficult it is. No, he's trying to found, expound something in a very that's very difficult in a very simple manner so you know 
that the heart of the matter is this. And um, so this is his uh, unique quality, his ecumenical reach to, to show the correspondences between Western uh, theology, philosophy, religion, and Eastern theology, philosophy, and religion, specifically um, Persian, the Persian mystical tradition, which of course is the most, um, in terms of literature, is the richest, at least in poetry, in the world. Um, anyway, we're very privileged to have him once again here at Temenos, and please give him a warm welcome. Thank you. You know, symmetry is very important <laughs> See, because it gives you some imbalance when you're talking when the table or anything is imbalanced. Good evening. Ladies and gentlemen, the Temenus friends and all lovers of eternal beauties, eternal values of beauty, truth, and the good. As Dr. Lewison mentioned, the glorious chariot of Nowruz, of a spring, because our Nowruz is on the first day of spring and it is a very particular time it is not arbitrary it is not at 12 o'clock or at 1 o'clock or in the middle of the day it is exactly at one second even you could say when the sun steeps perpendic shines perpendicularly on the equator it is the time, it's the exact moment when everything becomes equal, when justice is re-established in the world. And the Solomon, or Jamshid, the legendary king of Persia of the time of golden age of Iran, when there was no death, when there was no ailment, when there was no poverty, when there was no war, there were no devils, even the devils and demons were employed by Jamshid. So at that time, Maran Ruzra Ruzen No Khandand, when all the devils were defeated, Jamshid sat on the throne. You cannot sit on the throne while the demons are prowling around. He sat on the throne, and then that day was the first day of Nowruz, the first day of uh, year of the year. So, besides that, we see that the glorious chariot of Easter is also on the way, is approaching. This is another resurrection because spring is the one resurrection of nature. It is the most miraculous event in the world and people don't look deep into it. It is, it is marvelous. You can never lose your wonder that such um, auspicious happening comes into being. And uh, so this is another resurrection. The second resurrection 
is the resurrection of Jesus Christ, the spiritual resurrection in the time of Easter. And I hope that these two resurrections would teach us to pave the way for a third resurrection, a renaissance, a renaissance back into perennial philosophy. Perennial philosophy is a third, could be a third resurrection for all humanity. It is the religion of perennial philosophy, or you could say it is the religion of love. It is the religion in which we were born. We were not born without a religion. We are born with a religion, and that is the religion of love. We all love beauty, we all love truth, and we all love the good. So I think that if all people go after the love, go after what they love, then the whole world would be dancing and reveling because they are with their beloved. I wonder how is it that people, while they can be with their beloved, they go to the devil, the devil of avarice, the devil of selfishness, the devil of so-and-so, of, of ambition, I am the greatest. And, and these de devils, uh, we can easily go to our nature. Our nature says, this is good. Our nobility, let's show our nobility. Shakespeare says, what a piece of work is man. How noble in reason how infinite in faculty. So we have to rise up and show that we are great to all the devils so that we would run away from this world. So we are going to speak about Rumi and perennial philosophy. Rumi is one of the messengers of perennial philosophy. Of course, perennial philosophy is the common heritage of all mankind. Even in primitive uh, cults, you find the traces of this uh, perennial philosophy. All philosophers, I could say, even before Socrates, Pythagoras, Xenophon, sorry, Xenophanes, and uh, then we have uh, Socrates, who declared that my, the whole world is my uh, country. I am a cosmopolitan. I am uh, a dweller of the earth, not of Greece or any other limited place in the world. He was cosmopolitan. He was a globalized person in those days when the earth was not still a globe. But he could understand that it is no more than a globe. Of course, I should say that in those days, Aristotle and, and Pythagoreans, they knew that the, the earth was round, a sphere, spheres. So it is no wonder that they believed in globalization, that the globe is just a small place and it is just moving towards eternal fire. I'm happy that this fire of this candle in memory, in the sacred memory of <coughs> Dr. Rain is always aflame. 
And this is, of course, this is uh, just a candle, but it is a symbol of the Promethean fire which brings our heart to life. You remember that when Othello was going to strangle Desdemona, he said, if I put out this candle, I can somehow rekindle it. But if I put out the life of Desdemona, where can I find that Promethean fire that can bring life back to her? We can never. But we have that fire. We are going to speak of that fire. We want to speak of the flute reed or the magic flute of Rumi. You know, the magic flute of Mozart is very famous. But the magic flute of Rumi is much longer and has hundreds and hundreds of movements. And in each movement, he has explained the secrets of love. He believes that this religion of love and this religion of perennial philosophy, this is in not only in literature, it can be in painter. A painter can be following the perennial philosophy because he gives the basic ideas which is in the heart of every man. For example, Michelangelo, his works have been reduced into four letters, sorry, four words. Creation, incarnation, some of his paintings are creation, incarnation, salvation, damnation. See, that's all. Perennial philosophy is about God, first of all. It is a metaphysic which believes in a universal, single God who is the source of all creation, omnipotent, omnipresent, omniscient, and uh, he is one and one, cannot be two. And in other religions, for example, in Christianity or in Zoroastrian, when we have dualism or three, it is just superficial. Down deep, behind the curtain, you see that it's one. Even in Christianity, great Christian writers and poets, they all believe that there is only one God. And this is just three manifestation. As a Persian poet says, is has a dialogue with a beautiful girl in, in a church. A Persian Muslim, he says, tarsa. I happened to see a very fair maid in the church. And I said, how is it that you believe in three gods? God the Father and the God the Son and, and the Holy Spirit. She smiled. And with her smile, just reconciled everything and said, don't uh, don't um, accuse us of trinity, trinity or believing in three or two. We believe in one. Because that three, that one, may have <laughs> hundreds and hundreds of manifestations, and this is three manifestations. It doesn't mean that there are three separate ultimate reality. There is one ultimate reality in the world. 
So you see that all great poets, I would say from Sophocles, the playwright, the dramatist, Euripides, they all preached the religion of perennial philosophy, or you could say perennialism. And then we come to such great poets like uh, Shakespeare and Dante Shakespeare. Indeed, he has laid, he has actually rebuilt the perennial philosophy of his time. And people like Marsilio Ficino before Shakespeare, who was a source of inspiration for Shakespeare in some mystic inclinations you see in Shakespeare. Shakespeare um, is more known to be a great poet, a great dramatist. He is a mystic. But mysticism doesn't mean just to renounce the world. And He could live a life full of revelry and love and uh, enjoyment without losing anything. He can be a great Sufi. He can be a great mystic. And he was. He could see all the basic elements of mysticism you can find in Shakespeare. First of all, he introduces God in many, many different forms and different expressions of how God behaves in this world. And he has not only done that, but he has also tried to justify the ways of God. Martin Lings, in one of his books, Sacred uh, Shakespeare in the, in the Light of Sacred Art, he says that uh, he has dealt, uh, treated 10 of Shakespeare's um, uh, plays, and then finally he says Shakespeare has succeeded to justify the ways of God for man, that he, as he is right. If it is, uh, if, even if there is suffering and adversity, <coughs> how blessing is the adverse, the, the uses of adversity, how blessing is the uses of adversity. So, <coughs> uh, which has uh, two jewels on his head, which like a toad, ugly and venomous as it is, yet wears jewels on his head, the jewel of wisdom. Behind every suffering, there is the jewel of wisdom. So, we come to such great philosophers like Farabi, for example. He has written a book to reconcile Aristotle and Plato, and to say that basically they follow the same idea, and that is perennial philosophy. It doesn't make any difference whether you approach this way or that way. There are different approaches to the same garden. And then you have such great poets in Europe, Goethe, Emerson in America, William Blake, such great poets. And I can say John Bunyan, he, he has written actually a book of perennial philosophy because I gave his book to a Muslim and after one week he said, this is wonderful, I have wept with joy reading this while it was written from the point of view of a Christian but so it means that it is perennial philosophy when you get a book and you can enjoy it 
whether it is a book of a Muslim or a Zoroastrian, if you are impressed, if you see that it touches your heart, then this is perennial philosophy. One of the wonders, I think, of short stories in English literature, American literature, is the story of uh, the other wise man. This is really wonderful that one Iranian, one Iranian called Ardavan at the time of uh, about the time when Jesus was born he was one of the three he was the fourth man of the three wise men who went to uh, visit Jesus Christ and they have the night of epiphany uh, everybody knows about them but he goes and on the way he loses the way he cannot join his friends he has sold all his properties and turned them into three pieces of jewels in order to gift it to Jesus Christ. means all his life, whatever he had. When we say uh, the gift of magi, the gift of magic, it means all you have, the best you have. That's your gift. So, he was going to give all his life to Jesus Christ, but he couldn't find him. For 32 years, he was looking after Jesus, and he was asking here and there where this great king is living. I cannot find him. And finally, when he dies, Jesus comes to him, and he says, I received your, your gifts. And we see that an Iranian could, could live the life of a Christian, which is uh, consented by Jesus Christ, appreciated by Jesus Christ. So this is perennial philosophy. He didn't know anything about Christianity, but he lived the life a good Christian. You see in... Uh, Les Miserables of Victor Hugo, Monsieur Muriel, he is a churchman, he is a preacher, he is um, a bishop. But he lives such a life that every Muslim appreciates, every Zoroastrian appreciates. So this is the perennial philosophy. Even in music they said that Mozart is perennial philosophy because he speaks of God, he speaks of three things. First of all, of God as the source of all blessing, and then of the soul as, as uh, being identical or similar at least to his Lord. Some say it is identical because we are, in, according to the Quran, he says, I breathed from my own spirit into him. So our life, our breath is the breath of God. And says, <coughs> This is your nature, which is God's nature. And I created you according to my own nature. So, Mozart gives good ideas and good tidings of eternity. He shows what a lovely world is awaiting for you in the next world. 
Because this music cannot come from this side, it comes from the other side. Handel, for example, in his Messiah and Hallelujah, he takes you to paradise. He takes your, your, your eternal soul, goes back to paradise. That is the whole story of perennial philosophy, that there is a God and there is a soul and there is a love between this soul and that God and then the relation is not even lord and slave. It is lover on both sides. Friend and friend. I am your friend, according to the Quran, he says. I am your friend. Be my friend. So Mozart is the, makes you a friend of God. Bach, when he was asked, why are you going to, to the church and play uh, piano uh, and play organ? He said, because I want to take people to paradise. You see? So you see that uh, in all arts, in all that is beauty, in all that is truth, all sciences, sciences, there are particularly recently more and more scientists are writing that the God's signature is everywhere to be seen in the world. Signature in the cell. Look deep into the cell and you will see that it is it's a sign that this is me. So, <clears throat> Rumi is uh, inspired by Quran. Quran is the book of eternal, uh, perennial philosophy. Why? Because he says that whatever your religion is, no matter whether you are a Muslim, or you are a Christian, or a Jew, or a Sabbath, or what and what, whatever it is, if you believe in God, if you do believe in Allah, Allah is not a particular name, it, is, it means the one who everybody is wondering who he is. Allah, Aleha, means I'm wondering who he is. Everybody is wondering. No matter, you say Krishna. Krishna has almost the same, gives the same idea. So, it is not, a, the, according to Shakespeare, uh, a rose by any other name would smell as sweet. So, it is, some people have a prejudice that, no, the word Allah is not to be translated. When they are translating the Quran, they say, in the name of Allah. What is Allah? Allah is God. When you put it aside, it means that Allah is not God. It is something else. It belongs to the Muslims. While we want to reconcile all different names with the, what is named, with the Musamma. So, <coughs> Rumi, following the Quran, is step by step following uh, the perennial philosophy. Quran says, uh, first of all, there are three conditions for salvation. And that is all. You believe in God as a source of power, as a source of uh, everything, as a source of beauty, as a source of, um, actually Rumi says, as a source of... Uh, coyness as a source of uh, tannozi or as a source of delbari uh, when, when anybody who wins your heart and you become a lover it is he because there is only one beloved 
Others are just manifestation of that same beauty. So the fair maids here, you see them, they, have, they are just uh, reflections of his face. Actually, some people say he, uh, uh, he silently has followed himself, followed man out of uh, paradise when he was, they were driving him away. God came with them, and that was Eve. Eve was God himself who followed us. See, Rumi says, He is the grass. He is the tree. He is the sun. Look at the whole world. We have seen the, in, in the uh, cup reflected the beauty of our universal uh, beloved. So, this is the second. The first is God. The second is that you believe that <coughs> you have not been created just purposeless or for nothing, just living a few days here and going away. What does that mean? It's a very cold story. It's, it's, uh, and it's no good story that once upon a time there was something was called man and then he died and that's finished <laughs> is that a good story? <laughs> who would be charmed by that story in this world? <laughs> so but when you say well there was some, there was a bird who happened to come down and in this world he remembers every now and then as Catherine Rain, he has done a wonderful job in showing how moment to moment you remember oh this is my beloved I remember that I have seen her somewhere you see someone is a good person he is so trusty trustful he is so truthful he is so kind he is so generous you love him and such a person is the masterpiece of God. The masterpiece of God is a good person. So we love a good person. And a good person will, according to Rumi and many others in Persian literature, just the bird will sit for a moment on the branch and then flies away. That's the story. It goes back to paradise. So this is the second that... We have not, this is not a purposeless life. It is not absurditism. Absurditism is uh, good for people who have done, who have done improper acts, and then they want to excuse themselves somehow, say, well, the whole world is for nothing, and then so what I have done is nothing also. It's like, Sheik, like Macbeth. Macbeth, out of his sinful acts, tends towards absurdism. Absurdism is the child of dismay, the child of despair. When you despair, then you turn towards abs absurdism. It is a tale told by an idiot, full of sound and fury, signifying nothing. <laughs> when the life signifies nothing, then all values crash down 
and all joy and happiness and art and beauty and all the good and cherished things in the world would die away with that. So the second is that we have been created for immortality. Uh, um, somebody was uh, consoling and a great artist who was about to die said that don't worry your, your artistic works will continue to live in this world he said I don't want immortality of my works I want immortality of my own being I want my individuality is indestructible I want to hear that that our individuality is indestructible it cannot be perished away because it is of the same essence of God it is not, not to be separated because it is simple it has no parts no, uh, no ingredients so that you would tear it to pieces and thirdly this is the second and thirdly that uh, you have to do the right deed you have to follow your own nature and see that what is good and do it is it good to smile at people is it good to serve people when they are in need is it good to have a good temper is it good to be generous is it good to do some good job in the society while we are receiving so many blessings we have to do something is it good then you are your duty is quite clear do what you enjoy do what you like your like and dislike is your bible is your gospel you move in the society and say oh I don't like this I don't like that I like this I like that so from morning till night you see things that you don't like and things that you like I remember that in Shakespeare in one of his plays he is speaking of some neighbors and they are blaming them. But the other person says, well, these neighbors of, all, of ours are very good. They serve us. He said, how do they serve us? They are very bad people. He said, well, they give us a list of all the things we have not to do. <laughs> it's, it's a very good job. <laughs> so we can see what we like. If you like it, then go towards, do what you like. If it is very good to do one's promise, to be punctual, to be kind, to be uh, just, to be fair, then these are things you have to follow. So if you do these three things, then according to the Quran, there is no fear, no fear of the future no sorrow of the past now we we don't have time to go through the ocean of Masnavi and the, the works of Rumi but we'll just if we cannot put the, the sea into a pitcher but at least we can uh, quench our test from it. So I had prepared a full almost a small book leaflet uh, but I couldn't prepare it to 
to distribute it today, but maybe later you will be given a copy of this. These are some selections um, of Rumi's emphasis on uh, perennial philosophy and his freedom from all sorts of prejudices, from all sorts of narrow-mindedness. He is in harmony with the whole world. No one in the world would say, what is that? He is a prejudiced man. He is looking from his own limited, narrowed uh, ideas. It's not that. But, uh, you know, the height, I should say, the highlights, the zenith of Persian literature is the beginning of uh, the prelude, you could say, the prologue to Masnavi, the rhyming couplet of Rumi. It is wonderful. It is, I say, it is magic flute of Rumi because magic flute has been also praised as being written only by God. Great musicians believe that magic flute of Mozart cannot be written just except by God. And the same thing is true with Rumi. And Rumi himself says that um, this, uh, so far as my flute is on the lip of my beloved, so this is he or she. She is playing in me, through me. So I am just, uh, I am nobody. I am nobody. I am just a veil. So we want to read the prologue of uh, Masnavi, which is called the Neynamé, or the letter, or the poem, or you could say, ode to, in praise of the flutes. Or listen, hearken, hearken to the flute. I will read, because actually the whole Masnavi have been summarized in this divache, uh, <coughs> in this uh, prelude. You know, there is, uh, in literature, there is a figure of a speech, in which, uh, a figure of a speech which is called foreshadowing. And that is when the poet, in the beginning of the book, gives the whole story to the end. But in, in very brief and uh, symbolic uh, wording, very minimalistic uh, approach to the whole idea. So I, re I read it uh, line by line to speak about it and see that all the three things, the God, the love between God and man, the man himself, who man is, and uh, what is this, and what is recompensation theory. Recompensation theory actually uh, speaks, it's a part of perennial philosophy, because if you do this, and then you have to wait for that. This is a world which is responsive to your behavior. It is not uh, just dead. It is responsive to what you say, what you do, how you look. This is uh, the main idea that uh, 
you have heard once I said to our friend that in, in the beginning of Macbeth you read a wonderful phrase that is fair is foul foul is fair that is the devilish announcement that is the most devilish announcement all people who want to do some criminal act they have to recite it that fair is foul and foul is fair all Rumi and all Shakespeare is actually repudiating rejecting this idea that I'll show you that fair is fair and, and foul is foul and it shows Shakespeare was a great great master in that he says that um, you cannot wash your bloody hands by the waters of the by the seven waters of Neptune but rather the seven seas the seven uh, oceans would be incarnadine would be red because of your hands you cannot trammel up the consequences you can easily shirk your duty but you can never shirk the consequences of shirking your duty when you shirk your duty it's okay it's up to you you're free but you're not free to accept I mean to escape the consequences of shaking your dish shaking your duty shirking your duty so uh, we will go through it in the name oh let me tell you something else that even before even before the Neiname, before the flute symphony there are some Arabic expression in the beginning of the book I'm not sure who has written this but they say that it was written by Rumi himself that this book is the root of the root of the root of religion you see this is perennial philosophy it means it goes to the root of the root of the root of all ideas so, in the name of God, the com uh, here, here you don't have it. I will start from here. Listen to the reed, how it tells the tale, complaining separation. So this, that's the story of man. We have been somewhere else. We are here now. We are bemoaning. We are lamenting. We are complaining that in this abode of exile, what are you doing here? We have to do something to come back saying ever since I was parted yes ever oh, I can read from here listen ever since I was parted from the reed bed my lament has caused man and women moan I want a bosom torn by severance that I may unfold the pain of love desire I cannot tell it to everybody because people when they are not in love they cannot have a feeling about it Shakespeare says if ever you fell in love then in the sweet pangs of it remember me because at that time you can understand what I say so Rumi says 
I want a heart torn to pieces by separation. You have forgotten all about your origin. And then there is no lamenting, there is no ah, there is no shedding tears. So it means that you are completely ignorant of your fortune. Everyone who is left far from his, his source wishes back to the time when he was united with it. In every company I uttered my wailful note. I consorted with the unhappy and with them that rejoice. Rumi believes that there are two things which uh, is amplified, which amplifies your feeling. One is music, the other is wine. <laughs> when you drink wine, if you are a good man, you become better. <laughs> Rumi says, Badene da har sari shar mikonat, anchanan ra anchanan tar mikonat. Gar khorat aqil nekufar mishavad, var khorat bad khui badtar mishavad. If uh, a bad-tempered uh, person would drink it, he would still be worse than that he was. <laughs> but if he is good, then he shows himself his, his secrets. His, there's nothing bad in him to, to reveal. So he is revealed. When you are drunk, you are revealed. Who is afraid of being revealed? The person who is no good. When you are good, then, okay, this is me. In every company, I uttered my wailful note. I consorted with the unhappy and with them that rejoice. Everyone became my friend from his own opinion. None sought out my secrets from within me. My secret is not far from my plaint, but ear and eye lack the light whereby it should be apprehended. You see, hundreds and or thousands of people read Masnavi now in, in Iran or around the world. But uh, they often complain, it is very difficult, we don't understand what is the commentary, how, what commentary do you recommend so that we would read. Rumi says it doesn't need a, a commentary, it needs a torn a heart, it means earnestness, it means sincerity, it means uh, love, if you become a lover, then you will easily understand. You understand the language of love. Body is not veiled from, the soul, from soul, nor soul from the body, yet none is permitted to see the soul. This noise of the reed is fire. This is the Promethean fire. It is not wind, because when you breathe, it seems to be wind. But it is not wind, because it burns you. Nor soul, sorry, is fire. It is not wind whose, whose, was not this fire, who has not this fire, maybe not. If you don't have this fire, then you're nobody. Because without love, without the fire of love, uh, we are just, we would descend down to the uh, animal level. As Jamadi Mordamun Naomi Shodan, this is the famous uh, piece by Rumi. Uh, it is so famous that, and people have read it so many times that I heard one of the uh, 
professors once told me that if a person, if a lecturer next time comes and recites this poem, I would tear my uh, garment to pieces uh, in anger. Because so many times, hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of times, you have heard. But I would read it once again. <laughs> yes, because it is deeper than you cannot finish it. You can, you cannot, fin you cannot finish with it. You see, every new time you get something new. As Jamadi Murdamun, I was, I was dead. <coughs> I was, uh, yes. I died from mineral and plant became. I rose. That is one resurrection. Died from plant and took the sentient frame. Then that's animal. Died from the beast and donned a human dress. The vesture of, of the noble vesture of our human dress. When by my dying, when by my dying, did I ever grow less? So, so many times I died and I became better. And it came to a higher place. So why should I be afraid of the next time? Another time from manhood must die to soar with angel pinions through the sky. Miss angels also, I must lose my place. And then I will fly back to angels. And then even that is not my station. The station of man is infinity. We do not consent, we do not compromise with any limited thing. How many years would you like to, to live? 100, 200, 700, a million years? You are not satisfied. You want immortality. Because after a, a million years, then you will die for good. So no difference. So man would not stop any, at any place, both in space and in uh, time. In both of them, we want the infinity because we cannot be uh, contained by these limited things. Rumi says, the khushteli yu tarab dar jahan nemi gonja. You know, because when you are happy, you become bigger and bigger. When you are sorrowful, you become smaller and smaller. You just sit down somewhere and you, you give the, the least volume to yourself. But when suddenly you hear some uh, good tiding, you rise. You, you need more place. And then if, if the good tiding, if the news is exceptionally uh, joyful, then you will start dancing. And then it is not good place for dancing. I, I want more and more and more place. And then Rumi says, the whole world is too small for my dance. I am so happy, my happiness cannot be contained. I, I want uh, an infinite piece of dancing uh, so that I could express my happiness. So man is infinite in all respects. You can only compare it with God. With anything else, 
they would stop and you go on. Even with Gabriel, Gabriel in, at the time of ascent of Muhammad, they came and came and came to a level and then Gabriel stopped and said, well, this is my end. But man has no end, has no end. So, midst angels also I must lose my place. Since everything shall perish, have I his face. Save his face. This is a, a verse in the Quran that everything will perish except the face of God. We are the face of God. That's why we don't perish. Imperishable we are. And then the last line is wonderful. Let me be naught. Naught means nothingness. What is nothingness? Because nothingness is not no good thing. While in Persian literature and Indian literature, when they speak of nirvana and nothingness, it means it is no limitation. When we say nothing, it means no limitation. It doesn't mean non-existence. It means full existence. When you are not, when you are nothing, you remember that Emily Dickinson says, um, I am nobody. When you are nobody, then you are everybody. When you are somebody, you are somebody. But when you are nobody, then you are everybody. You can associate with different people. I'm nobody. I, I am not limited in a particular uh, religion, in a particular idea. I can make friends with you. What do you say? So I become not, finally. And then something within me sings that we are returning to our Lord. Because according to the Quran, this is not going to, to the earth, going back to the earth. Dust into dust is not the story of the soul. It is the story of the body. So several times in the Quran it says that when you die, you are paving your way towards your Lord, your Lord who knows everything. So be careful that when you are going to him, you are all right. There is a story that uh, I have brought it here, you will read it, that once a friend of Joseph, a friend of Joseph came to see Joseph after many years. And then Joseph was, had become a king at that time when at, when he was a child, they were playing with each other, and now he was a king. They sat together and they spoke of the last stories and past stories. And then Joseph said, well, what have you brought as a gift for me? This is the custom among us that everyone who comes to a friend has to bring something, to bring a gift. You know, Iranians were the first people who brought gift to Jesus Christ. And this tradition of giving gift is from Iranians, to give gift and a wise gift, the gift of magic. You read the story of uh, um, O. Henry, the Christmas story of O. Henry, where the bride and the bridegroom, the newly married couple, 
gave everything they had, the best and most cherished things, for, to make it a gift for the other. So, Joseph said, it is customary, it is a tradition that you bring me a gift. He said, well, what could I do, what could I do for you? What could I bring for you? You are the king. You are most beautiful. You are young. You are everything. What can I bring for you to make you happy? The only thing I could think of is I brought you a mirror so that you would look at yourself. This is the most precious thing. Your face and your beauty is the most precious thing in the world. I have brought you this. So Rumi says that um, purify your heart and turn it into a, a mirror. When you, it is not necessary to do anything for God, to do any services. Just purify your heart. And then when he looks at your heart, he sees himself and he enjoys. So I'm sorry we don't have to read even this single piece. This fire... It's the fire of love that is in the reed. It's the fervor of love that is in the wine. Even the wine. In another place, Rumi says, I am not intoxicated by the wine. The wine was intoxicated by me. <laughs> the form, this body, I, am not being I have not been created by this body, but this body was created by me. Since I wanted to appear, then I created this body. So the wine became intoxicated uh, out of our love. So whoever saw a poison and antidote like the reed. No, he calls the flutes poison and antidote. Why? They are two opposite things. He said yes. Because um, this flute and this song reminds you of separation. So it is poison, the poison of separation. That you are far, far, far away from your beloved. Far, far away from true happiness. Far away from your desires. You are away. But at the same time, he gives you good tidings that you are going back to him and you, will, you are going to be united. So this is the um, antidote. This is the antidote. And who has seen an antidote and poison coming together in, in the reed? Whoever saw a sympathizer and a longing lover like the reed, the reed tells the way full of blood and recounts the stories of the passion of Majnun. Majnun and Leili are very famous, like Romeo and Juliet. And there is a funny story by Rumi that uh, the caliph of Muslims once called, he had heard about Leili and Majnun, and he wondered, how is it that this Leili, who is that? How, how much beauty does she have who has made such... Uh, person like Majnun, frenzied and mad. He said, okay, bring this lady so that I look at her. When they brought her before him, he looked at her and said, well, 
Are you lady? In, in a depreciating way. Are you lady? He said, yes, but you are not Majnun. <laughs> <laughs> I'm lady, but you are not Majnun. There needs a Majnun to understand the beauty of lady. In our woe, the days have become untimely. Our days travel hand in hand with burning griefs. If our days, you see now, this goes back to eternal, perennial philosophy. If our days are gone, let them go. Because people are constantly grieving, oh, another year, what added to, my, to me, this year for, in my... Uh, birthday, what can I do? It is 31, it is 32, it is 70, it is 80. And then they are grieving for this, this growing and growing. I remember that once Kathleen Rain hailed to her. She said that I am the youngest of all. And they asked, how is it that you are youngest? She said, well, who is young? When you call a person young, it is the person who sees so many years before him, yes? When you are 20, you have at least another 60 years to live. So the more you have time before you, the younger you are. You are 70, not so much in front of you. If you are 10, then there is another 70 before you. So the more time you have in front of you, the younger you are. So she said, now look at me. I have infinite time before me in front of my eyes I see that there is so many many infinite years I am to live so I'm young it really makes you want young because you are full of energy you are full of <coughs> impulse to live you are full of uh, happiness and happiness creates happiness uh, true happiness uh, has certain signs. If you are happy and you are doing no good, then you are not happy. You think you are happy. A happy person is a generous person. A happy person is uh, a person who never gets bored, uh, is a person who never gets angry. If you get angry, then you, you are not happy. After a time, you are angry. So you are not happy. Happiness is the greatest alchemy of the world. And God is the happiest of all. And the happier you are, according to perennial philosophy, the happier you are, your religion is stronger and your faith is um, nearer to certainty. So I don't know uh, how much time we have. No more time. Five minutes. <coughs> Okay. Five minutes. Five minutes. Okay. So I just uh, bring it to an end, and uh, that is maybe sufficient for make you more thirsty. It doesn't quench your. It's but it makes you thirsty and thirst. Rumi says be after thirst don't be after water because if you are after thirst then water will come to you <laughs> be thirsty and then from every side just springs out water I want to read a piece by Walt Whitman 
You know, Walt Whitman was a global man. He was following the perennial philosophy in full, and he was friend of all. His salutation, salut when he is sending a salutation to all people of the world, he names one by one to the Iranian, to the English people, to, to so-and-so, to this Tanzanian, to Malaysian. He is calling everybody that I love you, and I, I send you my salutation and my greeting. So he says, I read this. Finally, the morality, virtue, said Marcus Aurelius. Actually, Marcus Aurelius, in his work, famous work, Meditations, if you read med Meditation, you are reading your gospel. You are reading, everybody can have a feeling that he is reading his sacred text. While it is not a sacred text of any religion. But this is perennial philosophy. Marcus Aurelius. And then he goes on to say, perhaps, indeed, the efforts of the true poets, the efforts of the true poets, founders, religious men, literatures, all ages have been and will and ever will be our time and times to come essentially the same to bring what is the job of all poets of all artists of all founders of religions of all sects of whoever is claiming to do something for, the hum for humanity he says all their job I will tell you what is their job the job of all artists of all poets is to bring people from their persistent strains they are going the wrong way persistently and they insist that they have to go astray to go the wrong way to stop them people bring people back from their persistent strains and sickly abstractions abstractions are the modernisms so-and-so-ism. There are so many isms that there, there are abstractions and everybody believes in some structuralism, deconstructionism, so-and-so. They are just abstractions. Do something instead of giving some, so many theories which is of no avail to human beings. And uh, what is that? And sickly abstractions to the costless average. Let's go back to the costless. It is it is cheapest. The way to happiness is the cheapest <coughs> way because you don't need to pay anything. You just need to be yourself, to follow your love. If you want to tell the truth, then it is very easy. If you want to tell the lie, you have to think about it. <laughs> what sort of lie I should, how I should match it with the other lies I have already said. How I can do that, how can I can do that. But when you say the truth, then it is, you are the lion. So, the costless average, divine, original, concrete. We come back to our divine concrete. Concrete here doesn't mean uh, clay or body or things like that. It means really existing. Really existing. If 
we could come people, bring people back from these strains of selfishness and ambition and avarice, which is uh, against their own life. Not, of course, they just uh, trample other people on, on the way, but the greatest damage comes to themselves because no bad person, according to perennial philosophy, can feel happiness. All bad people must uh, despair quietly. No, no good person will ever be sorrowful because you are happy. Other people are doing, you are doing your best to sympathy with uh, the sufferings of the people and you are not creating any suffering and if you cannot do more than that you are not, you are not responsible for that. You are always happy. A person who does his duty is always happy. So, I hope that this highway of our Lord, the highway to heaven, it is so wide and there are hundreds and hundreds of signboards on the way that this goes to heaven. If you are right, this is when you smile, when you are happy, when you are kind, when you are good-tempered, when you are fair. You see, it's everybody you can ask, does it go to paradise? Yes, of course, go this way. It goes to paradise. There are so many. It is a highway. It is not a highway that goes from Tehran to Baghdad or from Baghdad to Bombay or from Bombay to Boston. It is a highway that goes from darkness to light, from sorrow to happiness. And it is so easy that uh, we follow the religion we have been born with. And uh, whatever other religions offer, we can consider. We can see if it is in, uh, in harmony. Actually, the prophet in Quran has been called a reminder. He has not come to tell you something new. He said, I remind you, you already know. You know that, but I remind you. Quran is a reminder, and the prophet is a reminder. So you can be reminded if you have forgotten. You can be reminded by religions, by sacred people, by good people. It is good. Thank you. When I introduced Dr. Gomshe, I said he spoke over the heads of academics uh, so that everyone can understand what he says. And I think you get an idea of that now. Um, it's very hard to, uh, to penetrate uh, a lot of what he says because it's uh, so broad and, and he's got such a wide vision. Uh, but it's, he goes to the heart of the matter. And so we're very grateful that he's taken the time out to uh, speak to us about Rumi and give us this very broad ecumenical introduction to the perennial philosophy and Rumi. And you can see how it, it ties into American transcendentalism in particular. You know, the transcendentalists were steeped in the Persian Sufi tradition, particularly Emerson and Whitman as well. So it's very apropos that he concluded his lecture with that.
Now, we have time for uh, questions. Um, and uh, so if you have any questions, please do ask. Uh, we have about, what, 10 minutes? Yeah, something like that. So, please. So you would yeah, um, well, I hope that if governments and people in power or dominating the whole world would listen that it is to their to their own benefits and they can fulfill all their desires if they come to the eternal uh, they put aside all religions and come to the religion of perennial philosophy but let me uh, tell you something that it doesn't need that we change anything Diversity is good. I am a Muslim, he is a Jew, he is so-and-so. We can keep our religion, but deeply we follow the religion of uh, perennial philosophy because that is the gist of our own religion. It, it, you don't need, if you want to become a follower of perennial philosophy, it doesn't need that you leave your own religion and say, well, uh, now I am converted into this. You are a Muslim as well as just like Rumi. Rumi says, my religion is love. Ibn al-Arabi says, my religion is love. So this is the religion of love. What is about love? It is love for God. What is God? God is beauty, truth, and the good. These are the three qualities of God. So whenever you are praising some beauty, you are praising God. It doesn't need you to read some prayers you don't understand what you say. You can just look at the beauty and praise it. Sadi says, and Rumi, wherever I find a rose blooming, I am the nightingale. I sing. Thank you. Dr. Omshay, very elegantly you described that uh, we've been created out of love. And you also mentioned that the antidote is to be reunited. But my question to you is, what is the purpose of our manifestation? Are we here to be purified? What is the whole purpose? I think it makes sense. This is what I'm talking about. She has. 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 Oh, yes. You know... <coughs> Aldous Huxley, who has written a book on, with the title Perennial Philosophy, and he has collected a good deal of mm, co good quotations and passages from uh, all over the world, from Eckhart, from George Herbert, from uh, William Lowe, from everybody, from Rumi, from Kabir. Um, he has written also an introduction to Gita, the famous... Uh, Indian uh, scripture. He says that uh, one of the most important ingredients of perennial philosophy is that we have been created here to become more and more 
knowledgeable, to know more and more about the secrets of life. And uh, in fact, in the Quran also, it says, we have created all in order they would come to know, to become arif, to become, to have wisdom, to understand. We, are, we have come here to know more and more about ourselves and about our Lord and the secrets of this world. This world is um, uh, ex an exhibition of God. Look and enjoy it and look at yourself and look at each other and then there are so many things in detail you understand in this world, in this world of detail. Then you become more and more knowledgeable. Uh, and that is the end of creation. But Rumi, and uh, in, in a poetic way, he says uh, the end of creation is that you and your friend sit together and look at each other and enjoy. That's the end of creation. Because actually in paradise, when you go to paradise, they sit on the tables, I mean on chairs, and then they look at each other and they speak love with each other, according to the Quran. So, in another word, I can say love is the end. Love, because knowledge is turned into love. In Muhabbat Khud Natijeh this love comes out of knowledge. The more you know, the a better lover you are. Because people are not lovers because they don't know. They are ignorant. They don't know what a, what a pearl is waiting for them. See, so love is the end. And no detail is ever lost, is it? Because the unlimited includes the limited. Every detail of the measurable universe is included. Josie as all am. از بین نمیره چون که اون چه لایه زله است و بی منتاه است جوزیات در اون هم مندرجه بنابراین هیچ جوزی هم از بین نمیره That's true That's true Every atom of the world is imperishable because they exist and existence does not come from non-existence and it doesn't go back to non-existence We don't have a non-existence shire we know a place, New Hampshire and so on and so on, but we don't have a place called non-existence shire. So people are afraid of non-existence. Well, I will be perished. There is nothing to be perished in this world. That's right. The limited, because the unlimited includes the limited. Yes. Nothing is ever lost. مارد در جهات هست مندرج هست در اون در بی جهاته That's right, that's also right You know, in every drop of water you can see the whole ocean The whole ocean is in that And God reflects in the small as big as in the great You see, so in, in all atoms of the world He appears and everywhere he is great. He is not small here and small there and greater there. He is uh, actually, Sheikh Mahmoud says uh, that Bezir Zarre Har 
به زیر پرده هر ذره پنهان جمال جان فضای روی جانان He says that all the world is a mirror and every atom is a mirror and in every little atom you can see the whole beauty of your beloved that's right so see the, the, the limitless is in the limit thank you that's right could I ask you are you saying that Rumi is the writer who most closely expresses the Quran نظر شما مولانا اون نویسنده ای که بیترین بیان قرآن می کند یعنی بیترین بیان کننده قرآن به نظر شما میان نویسندگان مولانا Yes, I do believe that Rumi is nearest to the expression of the whole Quran representative of the Quran But he says that Moses Quran Magzra Bardoshim. We have taken the uh, the the core, not the crust. We have taken the core of the Quran, not the crust of the Quran. And um, every moment he gives uh, such interpretations and such such commentary that <coughs> makes the Quran. something more and more universal. Mm-hmm. For example, he, when he speaks of David, he is a prophet, yes? But he makes it a prophet in everybody. You are David. David had 99 wives and he wanted another wife. Mm-hmm. He said, okay, it is right. I am the same. Rumi says, I am like David. Because love is not 99%. Love is 100%. <laughs> if there is a single person you don't love then you are not a lover so Rumi makes the Quran an everyday event for example the Noah's Ark where is the Noah's Ark? the Noah's Ark I think is literature you can uh, go on board otherwise you will be uh, drowned because this is the Noah's Ark this is the Joseph Joseph, you are the Joseph, but you have not seen yourself yet. If you see yourself, you will get in love, fall in love with yourself like narcissists. <laughs> well, thank you very much on behalf of the Temenos Academy. Um, and uh, his next, uh, Dr. Gomshi's next lecture is on the 21st on Tuesday. So please, Wednesday. Wednesday. <laughs> 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 yeah. Yeah. Yeah.